feel like we need a timeout for a reset. Woo! Anybody else out of breath this morning? I'm going to work out just so I can lead worship. My goodness. Thank you for worshiping with us. I want it to be a celebration today because our passage is so wonderfully clear about a wonderful hope that we have. Before we open to that passage, you actually can start uh, turning your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Meet me there, either on a gadget or in uh, your copy of Scripture. And uh, as you're getting there, I want to remind you of something really cool that's happening this week. Saturday, this coming Saturday, we have something called Mom's Day Out. So on November 20th, Moms, you ought to be paying close attention to this. It's called Mom's Day Out. It's designed for moms uh, to be able maybe to go shopping, maybe do your Christmas shopping without your children there. Uh, basically what we have is we have uh, child care available for you here at the church. And you come and drop them off and you depart. Now, you know, Christmas shopping, that sounds wonderful. But some of you are like, I just want to go home and have a nap. Amen to that, sister. We're not making you come back with receipts, okay? So you just go and do what you need to do. If you want to shop for your kids and they're not there, that's a great day to do it. If you want to go home and take a nap, you do that. That's, that's up to you. But we're doing this uh, from the One Heart Women's Ministry, uh, just designed to help moms. I love that. Give me the times again, Julie. It starts at 10, ends at 3. Uh, and, and it's kind of an open house kind of a deal. You can drop your kid off at, at 1 if you want and come back at 3, or you can drop them off at 10 and come back at 3, whatever you want to do. Uh, but here's what needs to happen. Moms, this is very important. Um, you need to stop at the oak and see my wife in the mustard, I'll call it, sweater today. Is that right? Okay. Uh, she'll, she'll be at the oak, and you need to actually sign up because here's the deal. If you know you're going to do it from 1 to 3, and everybody's going to do 1 to 3, we don't want to have to have child care workers here from 10 to 1 with nobody's going to be here. So it just helps us prepare. And also, Julie wants to know details, like if you're going to be gone during lunch and you want to bring something for your kid to eat, it's going to be on you. Uh, we're not providing food, but we need to make sure that you're ready for that. So 10 till 3, uh, Mom's Day Out this coming Saturday, but you must stop at the Oak. And if you can't make up your mind, make sure you call the office early this week so that we're made aware. Give me just a second. I won't catch up, I promise. Let's jump into this morning. Would you pray? Pray with me. Would you say this prayer? Don't have to say anything out loud. Just say, God, since there's something for me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, since there's something for me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message be edified and may Satan be horrified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in our study of 1 Thessalonians. And that study is called Holiness and Hope in a Hostile World. Holiness and hope in a hostile world. Last week we got to the holiness part. And uh, so that was kind of a, a shock, right? We, we get a couple of chapters in and all of a sudden he's talking about holy living. He's talking about our sexuality. And that was like, whoa, that came out of left field. Well, this morning he takes another curve and we leave holiness for a second. And we go to hope and talks about hope this morning. And that's what I'm excited to bring for you this morning. But let me remind you of the key thought. The key verse throughout our story is 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the whole um, uh, motto for the whole series comes from. 
Following Jesus produces a countercultural, holy way of life. Everybody say holy. See, we're called to be holy. That responds to hostility with love and generosity that is motivated by hope in the coming kingdom of Jesus. So our author went from holiness last week, uh, learn self-control. Why? Because we're to live differently than the world. We want to we be so opposite of this world who is against God and that does not follow God. We want to be so drastically different than that, that that people can't help but to notice there's something different about you. There's something different about the way you choose to live. That's holiness. But it all comes back to this beautiful lesson today about hope. The big idea is Christian hope, waiting with confidence. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 5, 11, waiting with confidence. You knew I was going to use it as soon as I could. Uh, I had a great experience this week. I got to be the bus driver for our women's ministry. They went down to Novi and uh, they got to go to hear, uh, what was her name again? Lisa Turk, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, she's good. Uh, uh, a really great speaker. And so I'm just the bus driver. I have my CDL license. I like to offer that. We like groups to go and do things together. So they pack the bus full of people. And can I just tell you other ministry, especially men's ministry, we've got to up our game. These women come and they bring food. I mean, they bring food. I mean, Jim, our bus was packed with food, sandwiches and chips and cookies and drinks. I'm like, they bring more food than the teens do. It's amazing. So I, I, number one, I'm always the bus driver from now on for the women's events. Love that. But we went all the way to Novi. It's a long trip down there. We get to this huge mega church, uh, Brightmore Church, big, big, big glass entryway, and uh, dropped them off. I said, Julie, what time do you think they'll be done? Uh, it started at like, doors open at six. So she's like, I think nine. I'm like, oh, okay. So I went out and did some shopping, got a bite. I went to a Yemenese coffee shop. Anybody been to a Yemenese coffee shop? Well, that's an experience. I went and did that. Uh, sat there and worked on my message and all that. And, and uh, yeah, I wanted to be early. A good bus driver gets there so we can get a good spot so the ladies get right in the bus off the curb. And so I got there at 8.45, waiting, waiting, texting my wife. She tells me they had no signal inside the building, but I think she just ignored me. I'm, where are you? Are you coming? Is it done? 9 o'clock, 9.15, 9.30, 9.40? It's getting late. I'm like, where are they? I finally had to leave the curb because I'm blocking all the traffic. Went into the back of the parking lot, and all of a sudden, the Yemenese coffee does something to you that it's not supposed to do. I got to go bathroom. I got to go now. And I look, and they're just, the ladies are in the session. The big lobby is empty. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go in there and go to the bathroom. So I go in knowing it's an all-ladies event. And sometimes the ladies take over the men's bathrooms at ladies' events because they don't have enough stalls. So I went in very cautiously. They're very busy listening to the speaker. And so I go in, look, and there's no sign on the men's bathroom. It says, men, men. I walk in, I look, there's nobody in there but me. I'm like, good, I caught it just in time. I went to a stall, I sat down, I brought a little book to read. And I, I just got started when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Kaboom! The door opens and about nine to ten women come in, taking over the men's bathroom. They'd had a break or something. I got there right at the wrong time. And I'm in the stall trying to do my business when the women come in and I hear them saying, we can take over this bathroom. There's no men around here and they can go somewhere else. And I'm like, I'm in here. At that point, what do you do? Do you say, excuse me? So I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. And so it gets more and more crowded. They're rattling the door, you know, and I'm like, ah, ah. And so I finish as quick as I can, and I'm like, what do you do? I, I don't want them to see me. 
I don't want to see them. So I opened the door, put the book over my face, ran out saying, I was here first. I was here first. And they laughed at me. It was awful. Oh, waiting with confidence. I was not waiting with confidence there. And it wasn't a good situation. They, they say that pastors can take anything and turn it into a sermon illustration. Thank you, Lord, for that. But we as believers are known for being sillily, that's not a word, ridiculously optimistic. The world looks at us and they don't understand. Why, why do those Christians see things so positively? Why are they, is it just an empty optimism? And I'm not for empty optimism. Uh, we get mocked because the world thinks that our hope is empty. They don't understand. And they think we're, we're empty optimists. I don't know if you've ever seen Monty Python. I'm not saying I recommend it, but my favorite movie in all the world is The Holy Grail. You know, Monty Python. Love that. If you don't understand British humor, you don't understand. I love Monty Python. But there is uh, an episode of the Python series where they have a person on a cross, and the person on the cross starts singing Always look on the sunny side of life. Those Monty Python people here know, you know it. Always look on the bright side. Always look on the sunny side. And there's this whole thing, and really, it's mocking us. Now, I I found it hilarious, but I realized the reason why the world found that funny is because they look at Christians and Jesus on the cross and think, that's just dumb optimism. Empty optimism. I'm not for empty optimism. I'm not. Some of you all never see the glass half empty, all right? I, I, I love optimists, but you never see the glass half empty? Even if it's totally empty and it's broken on the floor? Yes, yeah, sometimes the glass is empty, folks. Don't be an ever empty optimist. There are times when we don't just say well, everything's fine, everything is great, but we as believers do have a hope that the world doesn't understand. And it is not empty. That at the end of this life, it is not the end for us. Amen? And this morning, the author has to come and explain this to the Thessalonians because they don't understand. They're concerned that some people are going to miss out on some things. And so the author helps us out by giving them some theology about end times this morning. Waiting with confidence. I often try to make my points, I'll start with the same word or whatever and all that. This is one of those messages that I just couldn't. It's just a really simple message. A couple of questions that the Thessalonians had. Number one, what happens when Jesus returns, they want to know? So we have this written in 1 Thessalonians four thirteen. Read along as I read for you. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed. Some of you have there in the scripture, it might say ignorant. We don't want you to be ignorant. That it was not a slam on them. He was not putting them down. He's simply being blunt. We don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be ignorant of the facts here about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so, everybody say so that, We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, 
with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want today to be an encouragement to you. I want to remind you of things that you already are aware of, but you can definitely put it in your column of fact and say there is hope for those who believe. The Thessalonians were a little bit confused. Uh, Paul was there, established his church. He wasn't there long, maybe three, maybe four weeks tops. And so they haven't gotten all of the deep facts of the faith yet. And so they're a little uninformed. They just don't know. They do know that Jesus was coming back. They were looking forward to that. But time has gone on and now people have died. People they knew in the church have died. And they're wondering as kind of young new believers, oh, nuts. He's going to miss it. He He died. He's going to miss the Lord's coming back. Oh, too bad for him. And that plays into the thought of what does the world think about what happens after death? I wrote down just a few of them. I'm sure there's thousands of beliefs. But number one, I think one of the most popular beliefs is that after this life, there's nothing. It's the end. Have you ever met anybody or talked to anybody that thought that after you die, it's just over? Just eternal blackness, I guess. There's nothing. Boy, isn't that sad? Isn't that sad to know that we suck air for free right now and then someday it ends and then boom, it's just over. There's no hope there. That, that's not hope. Another thought is reincarnation. It gives some thought of what happens after life, but maybe I'll be reincarnated. And based on how good I am is based on what station of life I have. I know I'd come back as a mosquito. I know I would. <laughs> I, I would not be awful. You know, if reincarnation were true, which I'm very clearly going to state, it's not true. There is no hope there. But if reincarnation were true, isn't that an awful hope? I hope I come back as something good. You know, I hope I come back as, as somebody rich or somebody in power or somebody famous. I hope, I hope, but that's just a, not a blessed hope. That's just a blank hope. Reincarnation, no, no, there's no fact that we come back as something else. Some people believe after this life, well, fine, I'll go to hell, but there'll be this great big party in hell. All my friends are going. I got friends in low places, so we're just going to have a great big party in hell. And I hear that all the time, and I, I can't help but to think, oh, are you misinformed? Paul used the term ignorant, and this is ignorance at its best. The Bible makes it very clear that hell is not going to be a party. You're not going to get down with the devil and be playing rock and roll and doing all sorts of fun things. No, no, no. Hell is not going to be a party. The Bible describes hell as the absence of light and the absence of relationship. The worst part about hell is that you are separated forever, eternity from God. And in that, there is no light. There is no relationship. There's going to be no party. You don't have any togetherness in hell. That is one of the worst hopes I've ever heard of. Well, I'll just go to hell and party with my friend. You won't. You'll never see your friends. Emptiness. Darkness. Some people think just the opposite. When it ends, it's just going to be nirvana. I'm just going to be in the state of bliss. But there's no basis there. 
there's no hope. That's just an empty hope again. So let me tell you what Jesus said about that. I use this at every funeral I speak at. I tell the story of a funeral. I think it's appropriate at a funeral to tell a biblical story about a funeral. It's a funeral where Jesus' friend died, Lazarus. Jesus' friend Lazarus had two sisters, and they were also Jesus' friend. They were well acquainted. Everybody knew each other. And they sent word when Lazarus was sick. And they said, Jesus, come quickly. Lazarus is sick. He's not doing well. But Jesus couldn't get there right away. It was a couple of days before he could get there. And in the meantime, Lazarus died. This morning when I talk about hope, I'm not, I'm not skipping the fact that we could end our life here. Our breathing could be ceased and our life could stop. Your heart could stop beating. That happened to Lazarus. He actually died. And when Jesus gets there, Martha, Martha, Martha. <laughs> Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know, I know, he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I love preaching this at a funeral because... It's life's ultimate question that has to be answered. And Jesus asked it. He said to Martha, Martha, do you believe this? Not did your family believe this. Not did mom and dad believe this. Not did grandma and grandpa believe this. Martha, do you believe this? Believe what? That I am the resurrection and the life. And that if someone believes in me, even though they die, we're not skipping the fact that people die here. Even though they die, they will live. The soul never dies. This body, it was Pastor Bob that, that talked to me about it, his tent. He called it his tent. I remember him saying that. My tent is all worn out. Holes and been used a lot and it's done. My tent is done. But Bob's not done, amen? His tent gave out and he left living here, but he did not die he died physically but he never died because the soul never dies do you believe this that that is the ultimate question in life it all comes down to that so what happens according to this passage when jesus returns real quickly jesus will return when god commands only God knows the day and the hour. Only God knows. He hasn't shared it with the angels. I don't even know if he shared it with Jesus at this point. He's going to look at Jesus at some point. And he's going to say, now, go get your bride. And Jesus is going to come tearing down out of heaven. And he's going to come for us. It's when God commands. We know that from this passage. We also learn that an archangel gets to give the announcement. Oh, I don't know who gets picked for the jobs, but it's so cool. I don't know right now if the angels are in heaven wondering... Will it be me? Will I get to go? I mean, it was cool at Christmas time, right? We, we know that the angel came down to make the announcement. How cool to be the angel that got to come down to tell them. It is Jesus. You shall call him Jesus. He will save the people from... How cool was that? But then the other angels busted down. They're like brothers and sisters who can't wait. And they all come busting down singing songs and stuff. Ruining the moment for the angel who got to make the announcement. 
I don't know what it's going to be like, but there's coming a time when God's going to say, Jesus, go get your bride. And you, angel, you get to go down with him making the announcement. Wow. It also comes with the sound of a trumpet, this passage tells us. Now, I don't think it's going to be a brass trumpet. I know you brass people love this passage because it talks about a trumpet. It's probably going to be the shofar. I don't know if you know anything about the shofar. It's a ram's horn, uh, and and they blow into it. It makes an incredible sound. How many of you have ever heard the shofar horn? Have you heard it? It's, it's distinct, isn't it? And, and I should have bought one when I was in Israel, but I didn't. I was too cheap. I wish I'd bought one. If you ever go to Israel, you know, think of your pastor, okay? Uh, uh, there'll be another pastor appreciation month next October. Uh, I need a shofar. I really want a shofar horn. I, I didn't even find one I could borrow today because when you blow in that day, well, that's pretty close, wasn't it? That's what it sounds like. The Bible says that God will command, an angel will come make the announcement, and the shofar trumpet will sound. That's what will happen when Jesus returns. But the question wasn't really, give me the details. And we love it. Uh, We love eschatology and study of end time things. And we make a whole bunch of to-do about this passage. When honestly, when you think about it, you break this down and dissect it, you got some simple believers that don't know a whole bunch, and they just want to know what's going to happen with Bob. See, Bob was one of us, and he believed, but he died. He's going to miss out on all that? That's what they thought. They were worried that he was just done. Bob's done. Only those who are alive are going to get to enjoy it. And that's why Paul gets to give this wonderful teaching for those who sleep. When the Bible uses the term sleep, uh, it was just a very common term for death at the time. And it does give the, the mentality that though this body might give out, it's not eternal, it's not forever. So the, the soul awakes, right? And so don't, don't be overrun by that term. The Bible's not denying death. And by the way, there is a whole theory about Jesus' death. Some people think he just slept, he fell asleep, and he swooned on the cross. No, no, the Bible isn't ignorant of death. It is death. They might call it sleep here, but he's doing it for a reason, He's making sure these young believers understand that the the body might pass, but the soul is awake, it's alive, it's still there. They will rise first. Isn't that good news? If you were a young believer and you thought, oh, Bob doesn't have a chance, he died, he's not going to get to experience Jesus coming back. Paul says, let me make it clear. Not only do they get to experience it, they get to experience it first. Everybody say first. Do you know somebody who's passed on? who was a believer. Anybody have a friend or family? Anybody? Raise your hand. Do you know somebody who's died? Guess what? They're going to beat you there. They're going to beat you there. Paul says, not only do they get to experience it, they get to go first. I love that. The dead in Christ will rise first. They will also go to meet him like a royal reception party. They go greet him and remain with him. This actually was a common practice, by the way. When an M, not M, MVP, a VIP, when a VIP rolled up on a city, uh, they would usually send out a greeting party. And the greeting party would meet them outside the city and stay with them while they came to the city. That was a very common practice. So Paul is explaining it. They get to go first. They're going to go as the royal greeting party. They're going to meet him in the air. Oh, God says, go. The angel says, woohoo. The trumpet sounds, and Jesus comes. And before he comes all the way, they get to go. Oh, it's beautiful. They're the royal greeting party. What about those who survive then? Paul wants to say, you're not left out. So you got those who sleep, 
and those who survive. If you're still breathing, when all that takes place, the, the dead in Christ will rise first, but then you'll also go to meet him. It says, according to the word, we tell you that those who are alive and are left until the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep, for the Lord will come from heaven with a loud command, the voice of an ark and trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together in the clouds. Uh, For those of us who perhaps will be breathing still, they rise second, joining Jesus and those, the, the welcome party. We get to go and meet him in the sky. What's the result? The result is, and I love how Paul does this so beautifully, you get down to to verse 18 and it says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The result is all, everybody say all. All believers will be with the Lord forever. Amen. That's what they wanted to hear. The Thessalonians need to get this straight in their mind. Oh, Bob is not out because he died. No, no, Bob gets to go first. And then we get to go. All. Everyone who believes will be with the Lord forever. And then the whole point of this is it's not supposed to scare you. The whole point of this, Paul says, so encourage one another. You Come around each other. That's one of the things about speaking at a funeral. The thing that I point out about that passage of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they say that many had come from Jerusalem. When it comes to a funeral, it's good to be surrounded by people. And there's encouragement when other believers are there at the funeral to say, you'll you'll be together again. You'll experience Jesus together. It's encouraging. We have hope. Everybody say hope. And it's not empty optimism. It's not silliness. As the world thinks we're crazy, it is a blessed hope. By faith we believe. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And like any good pastor would do, Paul doesn't leave it there. That was really the only question they wanted to know the answer to. But he goes on from there. So chapter 15, let me read it for you. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace, safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that, everybody say, so that. This day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, everybody say so that, whether you're awake or asleep, we might live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another with, and build each other up. Just in fact, you are doing. So Paul goes on to give some more theology to these Thessalonians. He talks about the day of the Lord. That terminology is used to talk about when Jesus returns. In the Old Testament, it was, it was referred to quite often as the great and terrible day of the Lord. Just real briefly, you don't have to turn there. Isaiah 34, listen to the words here describing the day of the Lord. 
Come near, you nations, and listen. Pay attention, you peoples. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with all nations. His wrath is on all the armies. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will stink. The mountains will be soaked with their blood. All the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. All the starry hosts will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig leaf. My sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. See, it descends in judgment on Edom, the people I have totally destroyed. The sword of the Lord is bathed in blood and and covered with fat, the blood of lambs and goats, fat from the kidney of rams, and on and on the description goes. It is going to be the great and terrible day of the Lord. We just finished studying Revelations. We're not going to go back there. (laughs) That was a lot of work. We went through the whole book of Revelations. We saw the facts. So Paul is reminding them there's coming a day when Jesus is coming back. It's going to be horrible for those who do not have faith. But there's a blessed hope for those who believe. He describes it as it comes like a thief in the night. And I don't want you to... uh, All analogies kind of break apart, right? Because we think of, why, why, why did Paul use this analogy? He comes like a thief in the night. I mean, Satan is called the thief, right? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is the real thief, but he's using the analogy of what it's like when somebody is doing burglaries. What is it like? It's done in secret. They don't like to do it in plain daylight. They don't like to do it where they might get caught. They want to do it when it's a surprise. And he's given the analogy that it's going to be a surprise when Jesus comes. A horrible surprise for those who don't have faith. And a a different kind of a surprise for those who are waiting for him to come. Julie and I were were in Texas a few weeks ago. and We left um, Grandma Diane home. She came over to help watch Jackson and, and, uh, what's the son's name? Uh, Josh, yeah. Uh, Josh and Jax. We're not sure who we really brought her to watch, but she came. uh, And and Jax, our dog, is, is, uh, you know, he... He's a, black, or a chocolate lab, so he's, he's, he just loves everybody. But at 6 o'clock in the morning, he woke up everybody in the house with a vicious bark, vicious barking. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, my dog pretended he was an actual dog. And he, and it scared Diane, my, my mother-in-law, so she got up and she looked, and he's looking outside the curtains and barking at something. So she's like, what's going on? She opened the curtains, and there was, there was somebody way up in my driveway by my garages with a flashlight. And it's still a little dark outside, and so I don't recommend you do this, but she opened the door and she said, you got to go away! <laughs> and, and, and he could hear the dog barking, and he said something. Finally, he talked to somebody else. We don't know who the somebody else was that was in the driveway with him, but they, they finally left. So Jack's got extra treats that day. He was a good guard dog, right? I know if we'd let him out, he'd have gone and licked him to death. He just would have loved him. Just new people, right? But that's when the thief comes. Nobody's expecting it. You're not looking for it. They don't call you first and say, hey, by the way, I'm coming. You know, be prepared. That's what they did when I was uh, a youth pastor. The parents would call and say, hey, by the way, all the kids are coming to teepee your house, just so you know. I love that. I love to get the warning ahead of time because then I could be prepared. I'd get the hose and turn it on and hide in the bushes. My favorite thing of all times is when a teenager walks up to the bush you're hiding in. They're right here and they're stringing toilet paper. And you're like, 
Oh. It's always better to be informed. And that, that Paul just makes the analogy that when Jesus comes, it's like when a thief comes. You're not expecting it. So don't get too carried away on that analogy. It's to talk about surprise. For those in darkness, Paul makes it very clear. There are those who live in darkness and there are those who live in the light. For those in darkness, they're, they're walking around saying peace and safety. It sounds like the mantra of today. I just want peace. I just want safety. I want it. I want it now. Provide it for me. Peace and safety. And the world is going to be crying out for this until the Antichrist comes. And he's going to bring both peace and safety. But it comes with a big hammer. He's going to bring what everybody wants. And that's what the world will be looking for him. They're they're looking for peace and safety. But surprise, Jesus comes. And they've been living in the dark so they don't see it. The Bible says destruction comes suddenly. And then he uses like labor pains. Kylie's not in here, is she? Okay, let's talk about labor pains. (laughs) Again, I always say this. If men were the ones that had babies, every family would only have one. Because we're not going to do that more than one time. But God gives a holy forgetfulness to every mom who ever has more than one child. Because those, I can't speak from personal experience, but I hear that those labor pains are something. Those pains are, are uh, telling. And, and, and I love the analogy Paul uses here because he's trying to say you can't stop it. He's coming. Jesus is coming. And the longer we wait, the more the labor pains increase. For those first-time moms, I, I, I'm just going to say, babies don't come when you expect them. I think the number is, you can tell me if I'm wrong, they're my, my favorite nurse. Um, it, it, it's like 5% of babies actually come on time. Like you can say, here they come, okay, but oh, hey, no, it doesn't happen that easy, 5%. 95% of those boogers come whenever they choose to. Weeks early, weeks late, it's a big guessing game. I know our doctor used to bring Julia when she's fully pregnant, he'd put this little measuring thing, and then he'd do this wheel of something, and he'd be like, okay, the baby's due. I'm like, what kind of sorcery is this? I mean, why don't you just say, I don't know, but it's coming in the fall, right? Because the baby's going to come when the baby comes. But the longer it goes the more the labor pains increase. Doesn't that sound like today? Isn't the world groaning in pain right now for Jesus to come? Don't we think? Don't we see? Can't we as believers be awake and realize he's coming? He's coming. He's coming. And it can't wait forever. That's Paul's point. For those poor ladies who, who go through all that pain of, of labor for the, for the first-time mom who goes because we think it's time, we don't know any better. How many, how many women have done that? Not picking on you at all, ladies, but how many of you went and thought you were having a baby and you get there and they're like, no, go back home. Oh, man. You go back home, right? You get to that third, fourth, or fifth kid and you're like, no, no, we're not going. We're not going. You know? And you're like, you know, we'll just do it here. Let's just get it done with Yeah. But labor pains are something that says it's going to happen. You can't stop it. There's no escape. For those that are in darkness that have no hope, there's no escape. What about the children of light? That's what we're called. We're not in darkness. We are part of the light. Again, those who are in Christ have the light of the world. He came to be the light of the world. We see when others cannot see who are living in darkness. So for the children of light, we're not surprised. Yes, it'll be a surprise, but we're not surprised. It's, it's almost like uh, 
our fo- my, my, the, the iPhone, not to pick on the iPhone, uh, we have that Life 360. How many of you have the little Life 360 app? Yeah, I love that. It gives a little ring a ding a ding Like when somebody comes home, it goes, oh, my dog Jackson knows that sound. And he knows if mama's been gone all day, he's, he's bummed out. He's waiting and waiting. And I could be three rooms away in the basement, and my phone goes, and Jax goes, he hears it and he knows. See, he's been waiting, and that little tone comes at a surprise, but he's not surprised. He's been waiting and anticipating, and he runs to the door, and he just cries. And my poor wife sits in the driveway and talks on the phone, won't come in. She, she does. On her way to work and her way home for her, she calls uh, one of our other children or her mom or her dad. And so she has conversations. So she might be on the phone and she'll just pull in and stop and she'll talk. And my dog's about ready to explode. He's at the door. Just, he just wants to see her so bad. And the Bible says for us as children, it's a surprise, but it's not really a surprise. We're expecting. We expect Jesus to come back. It's not like we've never heard of this before. We know he's coming back. We don't know the exact moment. So when he comes, it's a surprise, but not really a surprise. We've been waiting. And as it gets closer, we just can't wait. We want to see him. The Bible says then we need to be awake there's a couple of things. I'm just going to put them all on the screen. We need to be awake. We need to be alert. We need to be armed. And we need to be assured is what Paul says. Verses 4 and 5. You're not in the dark so that the day should not surprise you. So we're not going to be surprised. All the children of light of the day. For we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So we need to be awake. Oh, you know, it's another one of these terms I think the world has stolen. Awokeness. Ever heard the term wokeness? Is that person woke or not woke? And the, those ignorant people stole that term. You know, the original person was Paul talking about wokeness. And Paul was saying, it's the children of the light who are really awake. Everybody else is asleep. They're daydreaming. They have no hope. We're woke in a good way. So believer, next time you hear about wokeism, like, oh, we're the original wokeism. We know. We're awake. We're waiting for Jesus to come. They're going to be surprised. They're asleep. But we're awake because we're of the light. We're, we're alert. Six and seven. Let us not be like those who are asleep. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who are drunk, drunk at night. And again, not making a big deal about alcohol here. He was talking about just the general picture of somebody who just is not aware. It's nighttime. They're asleep. They're socked. And they're not ready to go anyplace. Unprepared. So we are alert. We're awake because of the light, but we're alert looking for him to come. And then it says we're armed. And don't think about this as being armed with weaponry. We're armed with things like faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Are you armored? Are you armored, believer? Put on the armor of God so that you can withstand until that day. All of the weaponry that we are given is defensive in nature. It's not offensive in nature. Even the sword is used to defend the shield, the helmet. And again, I would remind you as believers, the only piece of your body that's not protected by the armor of God is your derriere. It never says, you know, put on the armor of the buttocks. And oh, you don't get any armor for the buttocks. Why? Because we're not supposed to flee. 
You don't run. If we're going to turn and run, the Achilles is available. The rear end's available. We're vulnerable. So we stand firm, the Bible says. Why? Because we're awake, we're alert, we're waiting for him to come, and we're ready. We got that shield of faith and love. We got that helmet of salvation. Our mind knows that we're secure. And then we're assured. Verses 9 and 10 there. For God did not, not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died so that. Have you paid attention to how many so that's there were? I love how Paul is so good of a teacher. You need to know this because it comes with a so that. Moms, Saturday, we're coming to take care of your babies so that you can go and shop or sleep. I don't care which one. There's a so that. I took the women down to Novi so they could hear the speaker. So that the women can be encouraged. We always want to make sure there's a a solid so that to anything we do. And that's what Paul was saying. There's a so that. You Thessalonians were worried about Bob dying. He's going to miss out on it. No, no, he's not going to miss out on anything. He's going to be first. Let me tell you about it, Paul says. Jesus died so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Friends, do you believe this? As Jesus would say to Martha, Whether you die before Jesus comes or whether you survive and are alive when he comes, do you know that Jesus died on the cross to take care of your sin and my sin so that on that great day of judgment when God stands as the judge and he wants to know who's paying for the sin, I can look at God and say, I asked Jesus to pay for my sin. And God's going to take his eyes off of Don Jackson's sinfulness and totally see nothing but Jesus' righteousness. And he's going to say, Don Jackson, you are perfect. Unbelievable. All this happened so that I will know and you will know we have a blessed hope. You don't need to worry about what's coming next. You don't need to worry about what happened to those who preceded us and have died who knew Jesus. They just get to be first. And then we get to join them. And again, he does the same thing he did in the earlier section, and he wraps it up by saying, therefore, all believers will be with the Lord. This morning when you leave, leave knowing this. Whether dead or alive, we're going to be with Jesus, those who believe in him. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Encourage And build one another up with these words. This is supposed to be an encouragement for you. I'm going to have our team come and join me as we sing a song. Closing song of encouragement today. We, uh, I love all music. All music is, to me, it's it's, uh, artistic and it brings out emotion. Uh, but we do need to teach the hymns. And so there's some richness in the old hymns. I'm not against hymns. It's just that uh, I grew up in a church that was for nothing but hymns. And so we had to fight for uh, contemporary songs. And, and that fight just really led to a loss on both parts. Um, I don't want you to think that, that we're a, a contemporary music only church. Uh, there's some richness in some of the hymns. And so there's not a better hymn to sing this morning than the old classic, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon this promise, just to know 
Thus saith the Lord. See, Jesus told us he's coming back. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you that. Because in my father's house, there's many rooms. And I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Stand with us and sing. Thank you 
for your word. We thank you that Paul taught these young believers there's hope. There are those who have died, but they will be with him first. And then for us who remain, we will gather in the clouds and meet him in the air. We will always be with the Lord and all God's people said, amen and amen.